0: Konban Wai everyone. This is Tony Harper from theraw.com.au and I'm sitting in Japan's Olympic Square opposite the Japan Olympic Stadium and close to where Eddie Jones in front of more than a hundred media types uh, was unveiled as the Brave Blossoms new coach. Sayonara Eddie from Australia. Hello and welcome from Japan. Christy uh, you're not sitting with me, um, unusually, because we did spend a lot of time together recently. You're home in Sydney, and you watched the entire thing on YouTube. What did you make of uh, today's proceedings? an issue, Tom.
1: Uh, I mean, sorry, <laughs> Tony. And in case you've been living under a rock, uh, Eddie Jones is indeed the Japan coach. Quite an extraordinary period, isn't it, Harps? And. Yes, indeed. Uh, It was kind of the worst kept secret, wasn't it? It always looked like he was going back home to Japan. His family's there, his daughter, his wife. It it felt like it was going to happen. It gathered more and more momentum last week, didn't it? And by the weekend, it was kind of confirmed, eradicated by the board yesterday and unveiled today. You're there. Why are you there, Tony Harper?
0: Why am I here? Well, I just felt that someone needed to be there from the raw, Christy. We've seen this story from the the start, and what a what a lengthy process it's been. I mean, it's literally months since Eddie came in. It stood there at Matraville and almost bawled his eyes out about how proud he was to be Aussie Eddie again, and what a, what a massive thing it meant for him. He had a fresh contract, five years, two World Cup cycles in his in his uh, locker there. He was just so psyched about taking us through and building it. Uh, Hang on. Oh, see Eddie. Now he's talking about how speedy the Japanese players are. Talking about speedy, what about the way he just gave up on us and and headed up uh, to the Northern Hemisphere just like that? The guy, the guy really, I, I don't know, he sits there, there's, there's a classic sense of confidence and some have used plenty of other words in the last week to describe Eddie, but I'll just go with confident. I mean, what about the size of the, I don't know what Japanese for balls is, uh, but what about
1: the size of them? Sounds like a segue to tell me about your ski lodge in Japan there. Uh, (laughs) We'll come back to, to that later on, but you're right. The audacity probably of Eddie Jones there to kind of sit there, uh, an element of smugness around it around he's kind of eddie jones runs the show doesn't he and he with his little finger and it is pretty linked with little but it's amazing that he's he's just had uh, australian rugby uh, on his little fingertip and now he's got japan and it's amazing how swiftly this has occurred uh, the extraordinary thing is is that for for all of 2023, and in fact, the latter, you know, the last month or two of 2022, he was he was linked to Japan. He Everyone knew about his relationship with the former Suntory head coach, now the Japanese, the JRFU president. Uh, he, he had this uh, standing invitation to become the Japan coach. So as soon as he resigned as well as his coach, as soon as he was linked to the Japanese role, it is certainly no surprise that he was there, that he ends up sitting where he was this evening. And th- there's an element of disappointment from an Australian rugby perspective. For me, the element of the disappointment is not around the fact that he's with Japan. It's the fact that 2023 for the Wallabies was such a, a calamitous shit show for every, every step from start to finish, really, and certainly the, the latter six months of the year was an absolute shocker, wasn't it? But you know it was interesting because take us into the room, there was questions asked around how it unfolded, how did he become the Japan coach, what he did regarding that interview?
0: well, look, the first thing, the first thing I'll note in, and um you know I spoke to somebody from one of the wire services here who said that you know Eddie is going to have an easy ride from now. and uh, to expect that perhaps, there were two two uh, Australian journalists in the room, Tom Deeson, whose work you're all aware of, and and myself, uh, we were warned that it was potential that we wouldn't get to ask a question. And it certainly was shaping up that way. They went around the room quite a bit. I counted nine questions um, uh, or nine different people asked questions before the microphone was handed to Tom. And then he had to smuggle it to me while they tried to to, to, to move it away. And they, I think the idea is that they you know, I'm totally understanding that Japanese reporters want to ask about the future rather than the past. Uh, We've kind of been over that, but I think Eddie, you know, he, he would be looking forward to selling the dream again. You know, he came to Australia and he sold the dream and, you know, we wanted to believe it. We wanted to be positive and look forward on that. And, And many of us did until it all kind of came crumbling to bits. Now the, 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 the part and and the World Cup could have always been a disaster. Uh, we'll never know exactly how bad it would have been without the stories emerging from the Herald on the day of the Wales game in uh, Lyon uh, about him having an interview with Japan. So he's denied that. Some say 14, some say 18. Feels like 250 times he's denied that since that day. Uh, in yeah, that room times have you written um, that? Yeah, how many times have we written it we've turned around and 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 look we understand our readers are. some of our readers have Eddie fatigue and believe us we have it as well but it is consi- it is a considerable news story that you know we're paid to keep on top of but like again he was asked um and again he denied it seems that he's got his story together with the Japanese officials at least and now this uh job interview that the herald's been writing about in their eyes was a uh, meeting with a recruitment firm now i'm sure more's to come out in the herald over the next few days in terms of proof of that we didn't actually have proof of that ourselves um you know but he his his line about this was i feel terrible about the results of australia because i wanted to go back and change australia but i don't feel any guilt at all about the process i didn't do an interview before the world cup I was asked by the recruitment agency to share my experiences with them on Japan. Some people might have construed that as an interview. It certainly wasn't an interview. The first interview I had with Japan was in December and that's the only interview I've had. Now, that's his story. He's sticking to it. Uh, It would have been great if he'd come out today and uh, address it in a different way, but that's kind of what we expected in that room.
1: Tony, the great question is, do you believe him? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know, I, mean, I I don't believe him, no but then do I not believe him because I don't think he's answered it correctly I think he could have come out on that time and now I think if he'd said what he said tonight at that time and stuck with that story like the thing I keep going back to is in the room in the Wales press conference after the game I had the first question to him and I I said look, let's Put this to bed here and now. Did you interview with Japan before the World Cup? And his response was not, no, it wasn't, yes, it wasn't. I've talked to them about recruiting. It was, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. And uh, that was another occasion that the microphone was whisked from my grasp. But like just a, an understanding to our readers that, you know, you need to ask him this. You need to ask him that. You basically get one question. His answer then was, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, mate, which – the follow-up to that is, hang on, you've got two or three media staff, the stories in the ma- in a major newspaper, are you trying to suggest that they haven't told you about this? Like, you know what I'm talking about, but you're just refusing to, to answer the question. Tonight he answered the question, do I believe it? Oh, uh, look, it's. It's too far down the track, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, and I know that I've, I've spoken to a bunch of people that are close to, to Eddie, much closer than you and I will ever be, and, and they think he's handled it poorly. Uh, they thought that he was very much committed to Australian rugby, and to be fair, a lot of people a lot of his players thought he was committed to Australian rugby and they saw that with all the hours that he put in. And he he actually said that same interview, I take umbrage with some of the questioning that's that's coming this way. Yeah. The thing that i and, and you made reference to it, it's really important to make this crystal clear. Sometimes some of us are more or less informed in the journalism industry around, uh, you know, previous it's certain information. That might be contract information, it might be uh, team information. This one here, I had absolutely no idea about, and I'd asked a thousand people, and a thousand people said I have no idea. And those that are close to his um, his coach agent, uh, those that work in Japan, those in Australia, and and no one could answer it. And and, and in addition to that most people said to me, I just don't know why he would need to do an interview because this is a guy who we are our understanding is had a uh, uh, the ability to go back at any kind of point in time that he wants to coach them. It could have, uh, and, and in addition to that, he's he, he's best mates with the, the the president there. So why would he need to, to go through this process of having a first round interview? That being said, it was apparent that uh, Tom Decent, the Herald tonight, uh, re- kind of revealed that uh, he has seen um, Zoom invitations which suggested first-round interview. So whether or not it was a first-round interview or not, it certainly seems like it was the subject heading. Perhaps it was a ref. Um, uh, you know, we can speculate around what it was or what it wasn't. The reality is he's no longer there in Australia. Uh, his reputation is down the, the toilet. Uh, there's certainly no doubt about that in Australia. And if he manages to pick Japan up and take them to at least a quarterfinal, I think his reputation will be restored to an extent. But those boos that we heard right the way throughout the Rugby World Cup campaign, they're going to continue again in four years' time in Australia.
0: This is a guy, when he came back to Australia, went to a super rugby game. His picture went up on the big screen and he, he was cheered. It's been such a spectacular fall from grace. You know, people are calling him a liar. They're accusing him of betrayal. Sonny Bill Williams today said he's pretty much full of crap. Like, you know, classic line from the, the, the Sonny Bill there. Uh, but, you know, they are they, they are sticking to this story that he had a conversation with a recruitment company. To get information about who'd be the best person, I wonder what name uh, Eddie, who's fond of sitting in the stands mm. jotting names down on a, on a on a piece of paper, I wonder what name he jotted down on his piece of paper when the recruitment agency asked uh, who they could throw great wads of cash at.
1: Look, look no further. <laughs> um, you're, you're talking to the guy if you really want to be going after someone. Look, I, I'm not surprised that he that he left after one year because it was apparent. Um, certainly whilst I was at the World Cup, you know, I'd come across information that he'd had a, a one-year, an exit clause at the first year. So for him to be sniffing around potentially other jobs, he's kind of entitled to do that, isn't he? he uh, it's certainly how yes, it all yes, played yes. out. You know, the fact of the matter is, is he he certainly would have been assured that private equity was coming back into the game, that there would be a couple of hundred million dollars uh, into the coffers here of, of Australian rugby and in addition to that there would be reform changes with centralisation a greater higher performance alignment uh and and per, perhaps 30 to 40 national and contracted players where he would be able to go in and say this needs to be done this needs to be done none of that occurred so i can understand him going you know what this works this is this is great i'm going to leave but the tea leaves had suggested he was going to leave for quite some time. And we saw yeah. that with the, the famous podcast with the Evening Standard in May, late May, in fact, where he said, win or lose, I'm not going to be here. I've signed five years, but I won't be here beyond the World Cup. You know, RA and Eddie swept it under the table, that one, under the rug. And, and, and he managed to get away with that probably what would be a white lie now. Around the same time, I got a text or had a conversation from a someone who told me that Eddie had told them that they wouldn't be that he wouldn't be it wouldn't be his issue because he wouldn't be there beyond this year either. So there was certainly pretty clear um, signs that he wasn't going to be there beyond this year. The thing that grates me the most around this World Cup campaign, and and in fact, twenty twenty three at large, is that the World Cup campaign. Was a disaster, and from from the, the selection, but certainly the, the tactics, and and especially the assistant coaching team, which was disastrous, and it had more people from other codes like rugby league and AFL than it did actually rugby people working as, as assistant coaches, and that's something that Nick White, very experienced player, has played under I think four Wallabies head coaches. Uh, that's something that he expressed his annoyance at, that he saw and recognised early that it was a big experiment and throughout the World Cup recognised that, hey, this was not going to work.
0: I I think you make a great point there, especially around the Evening Standard podcast and when he said he'd be gone, win or lose from the World (laughs) Cup. Do you think at that moment, rugby Australia, and, and looking at what's happened to Hamish McLennan post that, Um, and then what what happened with the selection and how he took that team to the World Cup. Should Rugby Australia have acted, you know, more decisively at the time and what could they have done? Like what what should they have done at that moment?
1: Of course. I don't know if they could have done anything because at that point in time, you either back the coach or you don't. And and the reason why they backed Eddie Jones to come in over the top of Dave Rennie in a World Cup year was his track record of taking teams to World Cup finals. And and you know even Japan they won three out of four in 2015. yet didn't make the finals uh, after a four-day turnaround, having beaten South Africa to then have to front up to take on uh, Scotland. That, that being said, uh, it was very tricky for a new CEO and a, and a chairman who's gone out on a limb to, take, to, to be able to step in there at, at any kind of point in time. So I actually don't think that they really could have done anything. What it signified and showed me, I think, this year was that in a similar way that in Eddie Jones's autobiography, he spoke about the fact that he probably shouldn't have taken the Queensland job and he took it. He almost, uh, after being angry and wanting to get one back at Australian rugby, and then left Queensland, uh, had their worst year ever, demolished, I think it was 91-3, against the Bulls in Pretoria, uh, leaves after a season. uh, An embarrassing moment for him. Uh, I don't think Eddie Jones should have taken that at Wallaby's job. And he was told by people close to him that he shouldn't have taken the job right back in January, that you don't know how bad a shape the game is. And I think upon reflection, he would have said, you know what, I probably didn't give myself enough time after the England seven years as a a head coach of England and before that three or four years as Japanese coach and being the Suntory coach before that as well. And I don't think he quite left himself enough room and time to reflect, to gather his thoughts because he's a much better coach than what we've seen over the last six months.
0: Look, I get that, but there is a human element to this as well. Like the abuse that he's caught, and the way that a lot of Australian rugby fans, and and not just rugby fans, but a lot of Australian people in the Gen Pop who I speak to, they all know the Eddie Jones story. This guy is a pariah in Australia. This is supposedly his home. You mentioned at the top about him heading home, but this is kind of going to be a sad story. This guy's 63. His legacy, his obituary, the first line is going to be about this. It's about this betrayal. It's going to be something he has to hold on to for a long time. Like that's either a very courageous move or a very, I don't know that he could have thought this through. Like you talk about that. He maybe shouldn't have taken that job, but it's there. See it through, at least see it through for another year or two and see how you're going to cut and run at this stage. Now, it can only be about control. It can only be about ego. He spoke a lot. Like Most of the questions tonight, let's be honest, were, you, you know, Japanese reporters looking forward rather than Australians dwelling in the, uh, you know, shit show that had gone before. And and they want to know what, what his plans are. And his plans are to, to get in there and connect the game. You know, we've talked about this in terms of alignment in Australian rugby. And he... He's actually going to be given the keys. He's going to be given the steering wheel. He's going to be given the accelerator and he's going to just plow straight on, on, you know, into trying to, trying to pull this together. Uh, He is at least until someone comes along with a bigger wad of money, you know, like as soon as uh, Saudi Arabia sticks a team in and bids for the rugby world cup, I guess like rugby in Japan is on an upsurge. You know, we have people who aren't really sure where it's at. We're seeing a lot better quality players, um, entering the competition. On on the way uh, to the press conference today, I walked past an extremely muddy field full of university or high school players who were bashing into each other and really playing rugby with a, a lot of passion. I mean, there was no grassroots there. It was just a, a patch of mud. And, you know, Eddie's, Eddie's got a lot to work with there. There is a, a very rich country, a country that wants success, a country that You know, if they're ninth in the world, it's not a disaster like Australia. It's actually something that they're working their way up. And he's talking about fourth in the world. I mean, I just uh, want to, but I want to ask Eddie Jones's future, the next two or three years, or let's say, does he get to the next World Cup? And, you know, what impact can he have in this country, do you feel? A couple of
1: things. I think he's, Japanese are full of values and it's kind of built on respect a lot of it, that's for sure, and hierarchy. And one of the values that wasn't discussed tonight, and he mentioned a couple, but one of the ones in Japan is shame. I just wonder whether or not there's a fair element about shame regarding his tenure, his brief return with Australia, because I feel like there's an element of that. And it will be, you're right, his legacy at the moment is completely up in smoke and a proud Randwick legacy, where he's so, which is so embedded in Australian rugby. As for, for Japan, the, it was, it, it, there's so many synergies with Japanese rugby in Australia in terms of the, the need to make reform, particularly from a pathways perspective. And, and, and Eddie spoke around the universities in particular. Around the need to be able to, you know, harmonise and come together, Uh, work as one, and and there's been a division between the universities, and only the best clubs get the best university picks, and the rest don't. And there's amateur players playing with professional players. They need to become more professional. But there's no doubt that Japanese rugby in the League One competition has improved astronomically from where it was a decade ago. Once upon a time, it was the George Gregan's and the Stephen Larkin's that were going there at the end of their careers, where I won't say washed-up pros, but that's essentially what they were, cashing in right at the end of their days. Now it's the Richie Moangas at the peak of their careers. It's the Harry Hawkins of the world who haven't even played a test, yet are on the verge of being eligible to play for Japan. He's going to be a superstar for the Japanese rugby. He already is with Suntory and that ability for them to lure players up the north. He made reference to Ireland. Ireland has done a great job not only nurturing their young players, getting a more centralised, high-performance alignment system, but also cherry-picking players from around the world, the James Lowe's, the Mac Hanson's, the Bundy Aki's, and Japan will continue to do that. I think he'll be able to... He knows the Japanese system like the back of their hands. He was there on the weekend for Suntory uh, where he's been a consultant for 20, 30 years uh, after being a head coach there for a number of years too. So I think he'll be able to make a profound impact. You're right, he won't have the same westernised media attention. His family is going to be there. And I wonder how influential the fact that his daughter, who used to work at Rugby Australia, that his wife, in Japan, how influential that was with his mindset over the last few months as
0: well. Thanks, Chrissy. Um, I've loved your work on this as well. Um, I would like you to go away now and do me a 25,000 uh, word feature for tomorrow on Eddie Jones. What the F was all that about? So if you don't mind doing that, I'm going to uh, get back on a Shinkansen myself. Um, this episode was proudly brought to you by our new partner, Balls Deep in Hakaba, which is. Uh, premier ski lodge in uh, Hackerbird I know that because uh, and it's glitteringly clean because I've come to Tokyo and left my son there to uh, polish the floors and clean the toilets Christy. That's
1: brilliant for those that don't know Tony Harper the the raw editor does does own a a lodge there so uh, that's all uh, taking the PSB time but keep a space you know keep keep Checking in on the Raw website over the next couple of months, there's some big news coming around the corner. There's the new high-performance manager, which is going to be announced any day. Uh, We expect it's going to be Peter Horn, but also Eddie Jones' replacement. I imagine it will be late January where it's firmed up, but Dan McKellar's certainly a candidate, uh, as is Stephen Larkham, as is Ian Foster, uh, as is Joe Schmidt, who I think is probably the favourite at this point in time. But there's a lot doing in the rugby landscape. I'm, I can't believe that you're there uh, with Eddie Jones. Hopefully you run in and have a, a sake with him at some point and and, uh, and say good day a little bit more.
0: Well, I can't believe you're about to become a dad. So congratulations on the impending arrival of young Hamish uh, Doran. That's um, going to be a very momentous occasion for you guys
1: yeah 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 something like that hamish right yes good very funny um look balls up um go go enjoy the the snow for a little while and uh get home safely
0: yeah it's been great to see you and great to chat cheers man